Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. You and Me Both is a production of iHeartRadio. The stand-up was just another extension of that of, hey, grief, uh, I'm going to go on stage tonight and tell jokes for seven minutes in the world that you've trapped me and I'm still going to go up and do it, like, out of sheer defiance. I'm Hillary Clinton, and this is You and Me Both, where I get into some of today's biggest questions with people I admire. On today's episode, we're talking about finding a path forward after a terrible loss, moving from grief to action. You know, when I think about the times I've gone through grieving, losing my parents, and in particular, last year was really hard on me. I lost one of my very close friends, my best friend from literally sixth grade, and my younger brother. It happened in the space of, you know, less than six months. It was painful, missing them and wishing I could talk to them practically every day. And I often find myself trying to figure out how do other people confront feelings of sadness and anger, disbelief, outrage. How do we all summon the strength to keep going? 
So I'm talking to two people who have really endured very tough losses. Later, I'll be talking with Sabrina Fulton. She's the mother of Trayvon Martin, who was shot and killed on his way home from a store in 2012. You know, Sabrina has become a powerful advocate for parents and communities harmed by violence. She's someone that I've been inspired by over the years. But first, I will be talking with actor and comedian Patton Oswalt. Now, you may have seen him on TV, on one of his stand-up Netflix specials, or on The King of Queens, one of the great titles for a TV program. Or, if you're a grandmother like me, you might have heard him as the voice of the rat Remy in the movie Ratatouille. He's known for being funny, but he's also been outspoken about the grief he's experienced. In 2016, Patton's wife, Michelle, died suddenly in her sleep. She was 46 years old. Her death was attributed to an undiagnosed heart condition and complications from medications she was taking. Her sudden death left Patton and their daughter, Alice, who was then eight years old, totally overcome by loss and grief. Now, he since has returned to comedy, even remarried, and is raising an incredible kid that I got to say hello to before we started. And that was great talking with Alice. But he did something else. He took the project that Michelle had dedicated decades of her life to and brought it to fruition. Because you see, Michelle was writing the book on the Golden State Killer based on months and months of research. Patton worked with two collaborators to finish this book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It went on to become a New York Times bestseller, and then he helped produce the HBO documentary series by the same title. So I wanted to talk to Patton about how he got over and through one of the most terrible losses you can experience and where he is now. Well, I have to say, Patton, I am thrilled to meet you through this podcast and Mm -hmm. have a chance to talk with you. And I think I should start by congratulating you because in May, in the middle of COVID, you released a new stand-up special on Netflix called I Love Everything. And it got absolute rave reviews. Add me to the list. Um, Thank you. And so I'm just so excited to have this chance to talk to you about really the ups and the downs of life and different ways we move from grief to action. Yes. And you've been very public about your grief when your wife, Michelle, passed away back in 2016, Mm -hmm. was very sudden, left you alone, a single father. Yeah. And I have so appreciated how honest, raw, vulnerable you've been talking about that experience. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that keyed off of me when it first happened, when Michelle first passed, and I was so shell-shocked and kind of shredded, you know, really, I was I was all nerve and viscera. That's how I felt. I turned to people in the past that had also been very, very upfront about chronicling their grief, especially there's a book called A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, where his mm-hmm. his wife had just died, probably one of the best writers of the 20th century. And this wasn't a book that was written 
months or years in the line. He was writing it immediately as he was feeling it. And it is one of the greatest depictions of grief I'd ever seen. And I, it's the slimmest book he's ever written. And it took me so long to read it because you just need to take a break from it. It's one of the heaviest things I've ever read. But I came away from it feeling so much. You know that feel you get after you've had a really, really deep cry? And then afterwards, you're like, oh, I actually sort of have some strength right now. I can maybe, like, I needed to wrench that stuff out of me. Mm-hmm. And so once the book ended, it was almost like I need to talk about this in a way to, like, I need to recreate that cry constantly. Because one of the scariest moments in grief is you think that you'll have a specific reaction to stimuli. So thinking about her being gone, and there'd be moments when I wouldn't cry. But then later on, I'm driving along and I would see a cloud and I would explode into tears. And what I realized was my body was defending me going, oh, wait a minute, we can't deal with the immediate stimuli. It'll be too much. Let's let this come out against a random thing so that it's not, Mm -hmm. so he can actually kind of deal with it. And I remember talking to a lot of people who had, you know, survived widowers or people that had survived grief, friends of mine that had also gone through the same thing, like, yeah, you're going to go through that for a while where you will start the stuff you think is going to make you cry, you will have no reaction to, and you'll judge yourself very harshly. And then later on, a day later, a week later, you'll explode over nothing. And it was, that Mm. was really scary. You know, in the losses that I've experienced, I know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, when, after my father died or my mother died or my best friend died, something will trigger a memory that is not even conscious. It's so deeply buried. And all of a sudden, my eyes are welling up and I have to, if I'm in public, you know, I have to sort of sniff a lot to deal with it. It's yeah. It's so interesting because you were back on the stage doing comedy within six months. And was that a way for you to process what you were going through? And I mean, how was it part of your healing process? I wish I could say something as noble and intelligent as, oh, and I decided to attack. <laughs> it was, when the first time I went on stage was in August, and I basically, it was had nothing to do with healing or regaining myself. It was, I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And it also be, was because for a couple of months after she passed, I was like, I don't know if I'm alive. Like, maybe I'm the one who died. And I genuinely wasn't sure whether I was alive or not. There were those days where I would walk around and go, wait, is this, did Michelle die? Maybe I'm the one who, and I had some really scary, like mental health moments when I didn't know if I, so it was like, okay, I need to bring, and I, and I remember I flashed back to when I told Alice, the principal at her school said, whatever she tells you she needs, you have to, you have to let her lead for a while. And one of the first things she said was, cause I told her on a Friday and she goes, I want to go to school on Monday. Like it was the first, cause I want something that feels like normalcy. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, I'm doing the same thing that my daughter did. On a weeknight, I would go out and do sets because that's what normal life looked like. So that's what I started doing. Right. So it wasn't a distraction so much as it was a way through. How can I make the world feel like the living world when I wasn't questioning whether I was alive or not? And I had to start actively switching the world back to the way that it was, doing stand-up, I remember there were a couple of mornings when I just couldn't wake up and Alice just didn't go to school because I wouldn't wake up till noon. And I'd go, I'm so sorry. Or, or I would I would forget to like 
suddenly, oh, you have no clean clothes because I haven't done any laundry because I, I don't know what I'm, you know. So then I had to start really actively going, I'm getting up every morning. I'm going to make her breakfast. She's going to be ready. Like I did that in defiance of this grief world I was stuck in. So I did that for a few months. And then the standup was just another extension of that of, hey, grief, uh, I'm going to go on stage tonight and tell jokes for seven minutes in the world that you trapped me. And I'm still going to go up and do it like out of sheer defiance. I love that word defiance because you were you were defying the tragic reality that you were now inhabiting and you were determined that you were going to do everything you could at least to reshape it both for you and Alice. You also did something else that really mattered because, you know, your late wife was an extraordinary investigator and researcher. And what she did was to try to, through her writing, her online interactions, you know, to try to build a community of people who were going to help solve crimes, which, you know, I find fascinating. And she was in the middle when Michelle died of a years long research project to track down the rapist and murderer eventually known as the Golden State Killer. Yeah, well, that was a thing that she had written about on her blog, True Crime Diary, which led to Los Angeles Magazine wanting her to write an article about it. And the article blew up online. And that led to HarperCollins saying, well, this is a book because it's such a massive decades-long unsolved case. The Golden State Killer started off as a burglar and rapist in the uh, Sacramento area in the early 70s, mid-70s. He went under the names the Visalia Ransacker. Then he became the East Area Rapist, or E-R, E-A-R. Then he bumped up to murder. Then he mm -hmm. vanished, but then reappeared down in Irvine and, and Goleta. It, it, like, it was just this statewide kind of spree. It was the worst uncaught killer in California history, and he'd faded from memory. And it turned out he was an ex-policeman, ex -policeman, right? Ex-policeman who was kicked off the force partially for shoplifting, if I'm not mistaken, a hammer and dog repellent spray and rope. So that's getting on the edge of like dark comedy at that point, where it's like, how much mm -hmm. more obvious could this guy? But also, people keep forgetting there was an era coming up where, you know, that's what guys did, man. You used to, that's, of course you buys a hammer and some rope. That's what guys do. So it didn't seem weird or suspicious. So she really delves into part of what kept him going for so long was the tone and uh, feeling of the era and how it felt about women and how it felt about rape victims and stuff like that. So, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's a whole piece. It's, it's, it's as much a, a mood piece as it is an investigative piece. It's, it's just both. And it's extraordinary. We're taking a quick break. Stay with us. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, 
features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. After six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. You decided to finish the book she was working on and, you know, give us a little bit of understanding as to how you summon the energy and commitment (laughs) to take on what is a huge undertaking. Yeah, well, that was me. You know, again, the first there was not an immediate I'm going to see her book through. It was just months of, you know, junk food and and crying (laughs) and and rewatching The Princess Bride. Um, and just doing embar- like the most embarrassing stuff. As you've ever- you wish. As, as you wish, yeah, exactly. Um, and then it came down to, it wasn't even that I just, I was like, I'm going to finish the book. I'm like, I am going to beg people who knew her, who I also know, Billy Jensen, who's a journalist, Paul Haynes, who was her researcher and data miner, and this guy, Paul Holes, who's a homicide investigator, like, please, please help me assemble. I can't write at her level. I can't fill in where she left off sentences, but we can we can organize this so that it has a narrative to it. And please, please, let's get this out there. And they all stepped up. A lot of times when you're grieving, that's another part of grieving that people, that I think gets misrepresented a lot, the stoic lone widower, the, you know, lone wolf and cub samurai with his, you know, baby <laughs> in the cart in front of him and walking through the rain and I'm going to do it. No, you're going to have to ask for a lot of help and be 
kind of clumsy and embarrassed to do it, but I still did it because I wanted that book finished, especially because one of the things that Michelle embraced early on, most crimes are solved, not through car chases and shootouts. It's a Mm -hmm. cop sitting there sifting through data. I remember there was a day she got somehow, there was a digital archive of every yearbook in Sacramento from the time that he would have been young. And so a couple of the witnesses described it as being athletic. So she went through every track team. I mean, it was just like, it took weeks to go Mm -hmm. through and cross-reference and it led to nothing. But it was the doing that. And and again, it was every couple days and every couple weeks, it was just the, how do I I get up tomorrow and do this again? This is going nowhere. It's you gotta hammer it every day. It's so brutal. And, And I think that's why a lot of the, cops that she talked to trusted her very early on because they saw, oh no, she's doing the grunt work. She's not trying to do the really cool Hollywood CSI Sherlock. Oh, aha, (laughs) this cigarette ash. It's like, no, I just went through like five phone books from five Mm -hmm. different years of, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, which is how you, that's how you solve crimes. But you finished the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. You had the investigators and the retired police and everybody helping you. Then you turned it into an HBO documentary. What did it feel like, you know, not only finishing the book, but then turning it into a documentary, getting it over the finish line, so to speak, without Michelle being right there by your side? You know, again, the cliche word would be bittersweet, especially because the director that I got to work with, this woman, Liz Garbus, who did the Nina Simone documentary and the Mm. uh, Angola prison documentary, the way that she was able to tell the story and focus on the aspects of the story that Michelle would have wanted focused on, which is the victims, which is the survivors exactly. and, these, and these women exactly. that overcame. Michelle was always like, I hate serial killer narratives that make the serial killer out to be this dark anti-hero, where in reality, these guys, they're, they're just worms. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're just worms. So the fact that that's what she also focused on it would have been so good to have Michelle there to consult and see that process, what she focused on her book, also them being expanded. And also, I, I know that Michelle would have wanted to have talked to the survivors. You know, if Michelle had been alive and he had been caught the way he was, I would yes. be home taking care of Alice while she was <laughs> staying in a hotel in Sacramento, going to every court date. And just yep. nothing felt better than when I met the women that had survived it. And they were all like, we go to every one of his arraignments and yep. we look right at him and he can't raise his head. He can't look at yes. us. And the smiles on their faces, seeing this guy just reduced to what he was, it was just, yes. yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, the book was obviously a massive um, bestseller. And then on August 21st, just, you know, this year, this guy, this really terrible guy, <sighs> horrible human being was convicted of murdering, I think, 13 people and raping over 50 in California in the 70s and 80s. And then, as I understand it from the plea hearing, he admitted to things that he hadn't even been charged with. Yeah. Well, one of the, you know, one of the scenes that I found both powerful and hopeful in the documentary was in the last episode when many of the rape survivors came together. Yes. They were, in their words, a survivor family. And, you know, one said, even though it was decades after the attack she suffered, that she was on the road 
to becoming herself again. That must have been a really emotional experience for you, Pat, to to meet these women, these survivors, family members. You know, what did that mean to you? I met them at a book event up in Sacramento, and I kept it together when I met them because out of it just felt it would have felt really I thought petty and disrespectful if I had come apart after what they had gone through. And I just listened to them. I just listened to them talk about all that, you know, their lives. And But then when I got, I remember very specifically when I got back to my hotel room, I, well, I burst into tears in the car and then I had to get mm-hmm. myself together because I didn't want to walk through the lobby like bawling, looking <laughs> nuts. But then I got myself together, went back in my room. And when I closed the door, I started crying again because it, it's just so, yeah. you you feel the decades of their lives just unspooling on you like that. And and the fact that they are walking around in the sunshine and going to see friends. There is a gorgeous defiance in, no, nah, you know what? I'm going to go live my life. And yeah, and I know what you took from me and I'm still going to go live my life. Yes, Like exactly. you're just an insect. Because of course, the ones who survived and of course the family members of those who did not from his murders they had to go through their own grieving process and they had to make decisions as you did every single day as am I going to be defined by, destroyed and damaged by what this man did to me or did to my you know, loved one? Or is there a way that I can be defiant? And I, I really like your concept there. You know, sometimes you have to be defiant in yeah. the face of what life throws at you. You know, I'm also really happy to have had a chance before we started talking to see your new wife and your <laughs> beautiful daughter, Alice. So you have rebuilt a life, Pat. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not that you've, you've turned a page. That's a ridiculous uh, <laughs> you know, description. But you've, you've stayed in the river, so to speak, and oh, it, it continues sense. to flow. And you've got new love and new life. Talk a little bit about that, because I want those who are listening, who are going through grief for whatever happened to them, are feeling maybe down and depressed, maybe they're worried about the world, whatever it is. You know, there is this potential out there, isn't there? Yeah, that's a really interesting way that you describe the river. You got back, you stayed in the river. The river flows whether you go with it or not. It is going to flow Mm -hmm. whether you're in it or not. You know that more than anyone. You the, the kind like the, that river is going to keep going. So I either decide to get in and see where it goes next, or I I sit and just glare at it from the shore. You know, you you have to go with it. And I was, you know, it was February. It was almost a year after Michelle had passed away, and I was just you know slowly rebuilding things and getting on stage. And Meredith and I had a lot of friends in common, but we had never met. And One of our friends in common is this actress named Martha Plimpton, who likes to have these big dinner parties where she invites different people together. So she invited a bunch of people. I was on the list. So was Meredith. And at the last minute, I couldn't go to the dinner because I was traveling. And then the next day, Meredith sent me a message going, dude, you missed the best lasagna last night. Just Mm -hmm. like, and I went, oh, story of my life. And then we just started talking on Facebook. We never spoke on the phone. We would just write to each other. And it got to the point where I was just talking to her because I missed having someone to talk to in the dark at the end of the day. You just sit there and go, oh man, what is going on? And we were talking about the election and what was, what the, there was nothing romantic about it. It was just like, I've met this incredibly agile, multifaceted mind 
like Michelle's that I can just talk to at the end of the day. And we would go, all right, same time tomorrow. Yeah. And then every night at nine o'clock, I'm like, all right, Alice is asleep. What, what did you do today? Well, I had this audition. Mm-hmm. And that went on for three months, just writing. And then we, over that time, we fell in love just writing to each oh. other. And then we, but it was so like Victoria, oh. like, like, like one of those oh. epistolary romances of just the, <laughs> the letters back and forth. And then finally on May 20th, we were like, okay, we should meet. I go, where should we go? And, and she actually said really funny. She goes, let's pick like a restaurant with like a beach or something nearby. So in case this doesn't go well, we can like, one of us can go for a walk or we can, we'll give each other a bolt hold. We were so worried that it wasn't going to work. And then um, we we met at the restaurant at Shutters, and we just mm-hmm. locked eyes and it was like, oh my God, I just, you know, and then that, and then. July 4th, I proposed, and November 4th, we were married. Oh, it was, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for a happy ending. <laughs> I have to say that. But I mean, as far as telling the people out there, you know, you have to be very, let yourself get over your grief first, but mm-hmm. don't write off the possibility of love if you're not completely done with your grief. Like I wasn't completely done, and Meredith was, was more open than I was about. She goes, I know you still have stuff to go through, and if you want to wait or postpone i you know i'm not trying to rush you into anything but it was it, that attitude of hers made me go oh no i should be with her this is amazing that's so great and also you get to a certain age like look if we've been in our 20s absolutely we've gone we should move in together i don't know i'm still <laughs> but but once you're in your late 40s you're like i know who i am i know when i've met someone who's not insane this person's awesome why would i let this person you know so that's that's kind of where we were so. That's a pretty low bar. I've met someone who's not insane. <laughs> well, living in living in Los Angeles, that's actually a that's like finding a unicorn. Oh, she's not insane. I guess I got to marry her. This is amazing. <laughs> she's saying, <laughs> sign her up. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh, Pat Oswald, I have so enjoyed talking to you. My this gosh, was fantastic. what a treat! Thank you. Patton's newest comedy special, I Love Everything, is out on Netflix, and the HBO documentary series, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, is based on the best-selling book by Michelle McNamara. Sabrina Fulton is probably best known as Trayvon's mom. Trayvon Martin was 17 years old when he was killed while walking home from a convenience store in the middle of the day through a neighborhood in Sanford, Florida, back in 2012. Trayvon had been on his way home after buying Skittles and a bottle of juice. The man, a self-styled vigilante who shot him, thought Trayvon looked suspicious. Think about it. A young black man in a hoodie, minding his own business, coming home from a store, being targeted, profiled, and killed by a neighborhood vigilante. Makes me just sick and angry every time I think about it. I got to know Sabrina starting in 2015. Her grace, her strength, her character was so impressive to me. Together with Trayvon's dad, Tracy Martin, Sabrina created the Trayvon Martin Foundation, which has been trying to work with families who've lost kids to violence, sometimes police violence, sometimes random shootings like what happened to Trayvon and unfortunately so many others. 
This past spring, after working for 25 years for her county as a public servant, Sabrina decided to run for office. And when we spoke, she was in the middle of her campaign for a seat on the Miami-Dade County Commission. I was so proud of her because she had campaigned with me and for me in 2016, and she really was a natural. It is always a privilege and delight to talk with Sabrina Fulton. Well, you know, I want to talk with you about something that I think will help a lot of people, namely how you keep going. You know, I have been so grateful to know you, to be your friend, to see you in action over the past uh, several years. And I do marvel at you. You exemplify the kind of grace that can only come from faith and the kind of resilience that so many people need but don't know how to call up. And so welcome. Let me start by asking you how you see, you know, the last several years ever since 2012 when Trayvon was murdered, uh, the process that you've had to live over these years to be who you are, so incredibly determined and strong and still trying to make a difference to help people. One of the things I I learned early on is it, it just felt like it was so much pressure on me. I was in a space that I had never been in and it just felt like everything was just like coming down on me. Like every time there was a shooting or a killing or something, people would reach out to me and I didn't know how to handle it. I'm like, I'm still going through my grief. How do I handle helping someone else? But that was the key. The key to my own healing was the fact that I was able to help somebody else. And so I learned that early on. I reached out to other mothers all over the United States. And and that was the key for helping me. A lot of times we think that, okay, well, I'm in this square by myself. Let me just deal with this by myself in my own way and my own and do my own things. But that's so not it. It's it's about helping others. And the more I reached out and helped others, the more it took the pressure off of me and what I was going through. And so I certainly can tell you that I've I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot, but I just thank God that he continued to carry me and to move forth because, you know, quite frankly, if I would have just stayed home and did nothing and just been depressed, people would have understood. But I wasn't used to being on that street. I wasn't used to being sad and just, you know, feeling myself being helpless and hopeless. I can tell you that I live 95% of my life in an upbeat and happy time, you know? And then I found myself looking in the mirror and I could do nothing but cry, just looking, just tears. And I'm like, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be sad and depressed all the time. And so you do have to make a decision that that's something that that you want to you come back from. I wanted to be happy again. I wanted to smile and I wanted to be around people again. When in my mind, I felt that I would never get there. I saw you with, other mothers, the mothers of the movement who had lost children to gun violence as you lost your son uh, to police actions as others lost their children. And I saw how you often would be the person who would immediately pick up on 
a difficult emotional moment for somebody else. And you would walk over there and stand and be not only in witness, but in support. Were there some specific people who helped you along the way to begin to make that decision? Because you're right, it, it is a decision, but boy, it's a hard decision. It's such a painful decision to turn the most devastating grief and anger about what happened into a choice to try to live your life again, to try to help other people. I tell people that I came from a long line of strong women. I grew up with my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mother. My brother got in a car accident some years ago, and he's a quadriplegic. And I watched how my mom was with my brother, and I couldn't understand where did she get that strength from. You know, we would go to the hospital, and then when he got a little better, we would go to rehab. And I was like, oh, my God, like, if something happened to one of my kids, like, I would probably just be a basket case. And I just I just would watch her and, and how strong she was and how, how she would encourage him. That That's where a lot of it came from. A lot of it came from. I also had pastors that were around me, that supported me, that prayed for me. I can certainly say that the negative people I kind of got away from. Um, and until this day, I kind of stay away from the negativity. That's why I talk all the time about positive energy and positive people and then surrounding yourself with positive influences, because that's the only way you're going to move forward. Anybody could tell you, no, you can't do it. You don't have enough money. You're not smart enough. You you don't have enough education. You don't, anybody can say that, but it takes a real person with character to say, yes, you can. You can do it. I'm going to help you. I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to encourage you. You also had another son. You know, Javaris was the older brother. He was 19 when Trayvon was murdered. How did you help him? How did you keep it together so that you could continue to be the mother that he needed, just like your own mom, when your brother had his accident, had to take care of him, but also had to continue to take care of you? Uh, For Javaris, I always knew he was watching. So I would be very mindful. I was always his role model. I was always Trayvon's role model as well. But I knew that he was watching and I wanted to show him an example of how to act during adverse actions. When bad things happen to good people, how do you handle those Mm. things? How do you justify those things? How do you come back from those things? And so one of the things that I tell him now, just like I tell, you know, I speak at a lot of colleges and universities. And um, one of the things that I tell the young people is stay focused. A lot of times we get distracted by somebody else's agenda We have to stay focused on our agenda. I told him to make sure that he meditates and that he prays. I told him to make sure that when he feels his rainy days coming, how to handle those rainy days, how to embrace those rainy days, how to allow himself to have a bad day and then know that the sun will come out again. A lot of times we just Mm -hmm. go through our bad days and we don't understand that the sun will certainly come out again. Recognize your bad days because you're going to have them. You're going to have them your whole life. I still have my bad days. Mm -hmm. There's no getting around them. But I learned how to maneuver through those bad days because in the back of my mind, I know that the sun will shine again. Amen. (laughs) Amen. 
We'll be back right after this quick break. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. You know, when you formed, along with Trayvon's father, Tracy, and your son, the Trayvon Martin Foundation, you had a vision for how this foundation could make a difference in the struggle against gun violence and trying to prevent gun violence, but also trying to provide a place, an opportunity for people who had such terrible losses to come together, like through the circle of mothers that I was honored to participate in. Can you tell our listeners about the foundation, what it does, and and how you hope it will continue to play a role in dealing with these injustices and problems we face? 
Well, we have things in place to ensure that even after my life is done and the next generation moves on, that we have something in place to make sure that um, families understand about what happened with Trayvon and so many other Trayvon Martins who were killed senselessly and nobody is being held accountable. And so we have things once a year. Um, February, we celebrate Trayvon's birthday and not his death. And so every year we do a peace walk because we believe Trayvon had a right to walk in peace without being followed, chased, pursued, profiled, or murdered. We also have a sit-down dinner, which is a fundraiser, and they sing happy birthday to Trayvon. And every year I say, I'm not going to cry. And every year a little tear forms in my eye, but I guess that's my mom's side of me. Um, And we do a back-to-school event where we give away 500 book bags and school supplies. Tracy does a circle of fathers where he's bringing men together to strengthen the family uh, circle with the men and make sure that they're better fathers, better husbands, better sons, better brothers. The circle of mothers is about healing, empowerment, and we bring moms in from all over the United States and in hopes that they can heal during a weekend together to let them know that they're not alone and for them to go through the process of just knowing you have someone in your corner, you have someone on your side, because of course, you know, as women, we heal a little differently from men. And you always believe when you see another woman, if she can do it, I can. We also have a youth event where we talk about, we bring about 1,200 kids together and we talk about empowering our young people. Like we talk about issues with law enforcement. We talk about social media and how you present yourself on social media. We talk about uh, setting goals for themselves. We talk about gun violence. We talk about all of the subjects that they don't really talk about in schools. I let them beat up on me a little bit because um, I come on as a parent and I let them ask me questions about why their mom or their dad did whatever. And so it's, it's really interesting to listen to what they have to say. And I give them my point of view of why I think that they should not go to parties with their friends if they're with a bad group of friends. And so... That's usually a busy schedule for me um, on a That's foundation. A it is. <laughs> but I would encourage your, your listeners to go to um, TrayvonMartinFoundation.org. You know, they're able to see some of the things that we do in the community and on a national level as well. It's so fascinating to me because the mothers of the movement, two of you decided to run for office. Lucy McBath, whose son Jordan was murdered, ran for Congress, and you decided to run in South Florida, where you grew up. Talk a little bit about that decision, because, you know, that's really putting yourself out there. How did that come about? Well, I'm going to certainly say in 2016, when I became a surrogate for someone named Miss Clinton, (laughs) <laughs> of course, it, it helped inspire not only Lucy, but myself. I mean, it gave us like a bird's eye view of what to expect. But there are a few things that you did not tell us because you made it look so easy. (laughs) And it was not. You did not tell me the struggle with being a woman. Mm -hmm. That is a struggle that we need to be aware of. And I wasn't. 
The other thing is the schedule, the calendar. Oh my God, I <laughs> I knew you were busy, but I didn't know you were that busy, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I can fill every I minute. I barely have time to sleep. Yeah. Oh, I apologize, my friend. I apologize. <laughs> but um, I, I can I can certainly tell you that I was inspired by, you know, you running for office. And I was inspired by Val Demons and, and Frederica Wilson mm-hmm. and Maxine Waters, Corrine Brown, Sheila Jackson Lee. Like, they are so passionate about things that I feel the same way. I feel... I can't complain about something unless I give myself a chance to make improvements in that area. Well, you are a woman after my own heart, my dear. And uh, I, I so I so connect with what you said. But I, I want to just ask before we wrap up, how are you taking care of yourself? Because, you know, you've always been so determined and so intense about helping other people, even before you ran for office in your professional life, working for the county, following the tragic murder of your son, helping others, creating the foundation. How are you taking care of Sabrina? Well, I was doing a pretty good job until this pandemic came. (laughs) So I'm not only (laughs) dealing with the COVID virus, it's hurricane season for us. We have some West Nile virus. It's just a lot of stuff going on in addition to, you know, the uh, racial inequality that's happening here in the United States. And so I'm doing a lot of um, speaking on those issues as well. But for the most part, I take time out every now and then when I can. And I kind of just be with my family. We have we try to have a, a Sunday mm-hmm. dinner or we try to watch a movie together. And that that's my downtime. That's the time where I can actually relax and let my hair down. Well, you make people proud every single day, Sabrina. And whatever the future holds for you, you're going to keep helping. You're going to keep reaching out. You're going to keep making a difference in so many lives around you. You've made a difference in my life. I am so admiring and really inspired by your example. As we end, how do you want people to think about Trayvon? Because you said something that touched me so much that you celebrate his birthday. Leave us with some thoughts about how you want us to remember him or a particular memory that you think about that helps to ground you. Well, I can tell you, I'm going to leave on a happy note. How about that? I'm going to leave on the fact that Trayvon was a mama's boy. Trayvon loved, loved, loved his family. And it didn't matter where I saw him. I could be at a park. I could be uh, coming down the street in my car. He's on the sidewalk jumping up and down. Like, you know, he was very affectionate. And so wherever he saw me, he had to come and give me a tight hug and give me a kiss. And I missed that. But I remember it. And so mm-hmm. um, I think about that on, on my rainy days that I mentioned earlier. I think about the tight squeezes he used to give me in the in the kisses and the fact that he used to call me cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Oh wow. Thank you for sharing that. That really I will I will keep that in my heart and okay. think about it. Thank you so much for everything that you do and, and continue to inspire us. Continue to show us that even when when things are not going right and things are not going your way, you just keep it moving. And so I, I see that in you and that's where I get it from. We're gonna keep doing it together. That's right. Thank you, my friend. Now, Sabrina lost her race for county commissioner, but you know what? She only lost by 331 votes, less than 1%. It was her first time running for office, but I sure hope it won't be the last. For more information on the incredible work that she and Trayvon's dad are doing in memory of their son, visit TrayvonMartinFoundation.org. Now and in other tough times, I hope we can all take inspiration from Sabrina and Patton to turn our grief into action. One action you can take is vote. Please vote. Make a plan. Figure out when, where, how you'll get there. And then call up three friends or family members or neighbors and tell them to do the same. It is much better than just yelling at the TV. You and Me Both is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We're produced by Julie Subrin and Kathleen Russo with help from Kuma Abedin, Nikki Etour, Oscar Flores, Brianna Johnson, Nick Merrill, Lauren Peterson, Rob Russo, and Lona Valmoro. Our engineer is Zach McNeese. Original music is by Forrest Gray. And a big thanks to Riverside FM. Just imagine... We needed a recording platform that could help us make a podcast during a pandemic, and boy, did they step up. If you like You and Me Both, spread the word. Don't keep it to yourself. You can subscribe to You and Me Both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review. It's a great way to help other people discover us. And we'd love to hear from you. So send us your questions, your comments, your ideas, or suggestions for future shows to youandmebothpod at gmail.com. Come back next week when we're talking about the promise and the limits of the American dream with economist Rod Shetty, longtime immigration reform advocate Lorella Praley, and the one and only Tan France from the Netflix series Queer Eye. I wanted to be an American citizen pretty much my whole life. And so the moment that it happened, I was so overcome with emotion that all I could do was eat donuts because that was the most American thing I could think of. I went to the donut shop down the street and ate donuts. And that was my version of being a true American. Don't miss it. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.